Uh, we are continuing through the Gospel of Luke between now and um, 2025. So uh, we're in chapter 3 right now, and I'm going to just start off um, right there. We're going to do some selected verses. We're going to do 1 through 9 and 15 to 16. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, you guys okay if I start with the ending of the message today? Would that be okay? All right. You're still going to get like 20 minutes of like study on John, but I'm going to start at the start at the ending here. You know, just in case like you're prone to distraction, you get a phone call or um, baby has a blowout or something, whatever happens, you know, we're going to go ahead and just, I want to get this out here today because I think that it's really simple and I don't want it to get lost. As followers of Jesus, here it is. Our purpose is to make way for Jesus. As followers of Jesus, our purpose is to make way for Jesus. And in the context of, of this series in the Gospel of Luke, we do that for the sake of lost things, so that lost things might be found. So we're focusing this month um, on the message that we find throughout the Gospel of Luke, that God seeks and saves those that are lost. And Jesus is the ultimate sign, like the evidence that we have, that God would do the unimaginable to reclaim and recover what was lost. And the story of how God does that really ramps up when the word of God comes to Jesus's cousin, John. You might remember John from the Christmas story. He was one who was, who was born to Elizabeth and Zechariah when they were too old to, to be having a baby. So here it is again from, from the start, these uh, first few verses I shared with you. It starts off 
by listing all these people. These people were the rulers. Caesar was, was the ruler over, over the entire region. And then all these other names were people who were rulers over parts of, of the region. And it's, it's listed in a really specific way. Until it leads, and it leads us up to this place where we hear that the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, as you're looking at all these names, and I actually, I have an app that like will tell me how to say the names, and I already butchered it when I, when I read it, and I was like really trying hard um, to, get, to get them all, all right for you guys. And you might be wondering, why, why are all these listed by Luke? Like, why are they right here? Do they really matter? The point, uh, I think, of why Luke is listing these things is to point us to the fact that everything we're about to read and we have been reading is, is in a real historical context. And this is not, it's not just a history lesson that he's giving us, but he's, he's saying these things happened in this world, in a real place, to real people. So, who are all these people um, that are listed here? I invite you to look them up. I did that this week and I, like, I spent hours um, just like l- learning or relearning who these people were and what their, their stories were. I promise you will not be bored if you, <laughs> if you look them up. Um, it it kind of goes all the way from like the King Herod who was actually this Herod's father who was trying to have all the, the male children killed when Jesus was born all the way to Caligula. I'm not even kidding. Like it's this whole stretch of history. So look them up. You'll, you'll have fun. All these people though that are listed here are secular political leaders. Even the ones who have kind of uh, religious titles, ultimately they were political leaders. So do you need to know all these names? Do you need to have them memorized? Not really. Just remember that this happened in a time, in a place, and to a people. And at the end of all this, it says that the word of God came to John. Not to the political rulers, not to the people in power, but to John. And I know that some of you biblical scholars are going to be like, well, what about Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene? Like, what is his story? And you, it, actually, if you look him up, you're not going to find much about him. He was important enough for Luke to list to give us some context, but you're not going to find much about about this character because the word of God came to John. The word of God came to John. And where was John when the word of God came to him? It says it. He was in the wilderness. It's amazing how for us the wilderness is always kind of like out there. Uh, I had a, a friend reach out to me, he lives in California, and he said, hey, I got a group of guys, we're kind of putting in this application to be able to climb Mount Whitney uh, this summer, would you like to be in? And I'm like, I asked a few questions, and then I said, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm in on that. And there's like a chance that we'll be able to, to do it. But ever since he reached out about that, my mind is just on, on the wilderness. I love the wilderness. I, like, I love to just be out in a place where you just don't see any other sign of civilization. And it's just beauty that in my heart is just in that place. But I imagine for somebody who lives out in the mountains or on a farm, for them, the city would be the wild place, right? (laughs) The city would be the, the wilderness. Do you ever feel aimless or unsure about the next step that you're supposed to take? Or collectively that we as a people seem like we're rudderless and just kind of wandering around in the wilderness 
the wilderness of our, our own making. Even for those of us who are following Jesus, and maybe especially for those of us who are following Jesus, we will find ourselves led into some pretty wild places. What I'm saying is, we are the ones in the wilderness. Verse three says, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. I'm gonna pause right here. What we're seeing here is that John is finally, like as an adult, he's coming to the fulfillment of the promises that were made by an angel to his parents before, before he was born. Like Jesus, John was born with some expectations for his life. And like Jesus, he had to be fed and raised and I'm guessing corrected. And now the words of Isaiah are really coming to light. And here's what it says from Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Now, this is the part of the sermon where we get to have a punctuation lesson. And so I know you've been waiting for this. Um, punctuation, guys, is fun. And it's really, it's really actually important. Um, some of you will know that the original manuscript, the text of the Bible, didn't have any punctuation in it. There were no periods or commas or, or, or quotes. And so all that's been added later. So what you have in your Bible was actually added over years as people really studied it to get the context and, and how it would be in the way we use punctuation. So the reason I'm telling you that is that some of you in your Bible, it'll, it'll say, it'll look like this one. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, comma, quote, prepare the way of the Lord. Who is the one in the wilderness? The one crying, right? So in this case, it's John the Baptist is the one that's crying. He's, in, he's the one that's in the wilderness, some of you will have this, this second way that the punctuation works. The voice of one crying, comma, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Who is in the wilderness in this example? The audience is. We're the ones in the wilderness. Now, if you get like really into this, people will geek out on, on the differences in punctuation and they'll, and they'll wanna fight over which one is right and which one is wrong. When I first read it, I was like, the way I was taught was, was this way. But as I looked at it, especially this week, I kind of began to, to realize that they're actually both pointing to the truth. The voice crying out is in the wilderness and those who are receiving the message are also in the wilderness. So often Christianity appears as if, it, as if it's coming from like on high, you know, like there are these people who have it all figured out. And the only reason that this stage is elevated is not because the people up here have it all figured out, but so that we can see each other. <laughs> we don't have it all, all figured out. In keeping with the spirit of Emmanuel, of God with us, the voice comes from John who was himself sent by God and he himself has been wandering in the wilderness. And there's something about the credibility of a person who's been walking where you've been walking. When they tell you something, they tell you they're, they're trying to speak into your life and they've been walking in the same places that you've been walking. There's a, a different kind of credibility to, to what comes to you. And this is so much the heart of the gospel. The one trying to reach you knows something about your experience. And that brings with it a deep impact when you hear the rest of these words from the prophet Isaiah Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight 
the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. The wilderness that John was speaking into and out of was a time of corruption and co-opting and suppression of, of the word of God. It was, they, were, they were kind of losing it. It was just getting diluted. Can you imagine? And John addressed it right off the bat. Here's verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized. He walked up and he said, welcome to Providence Church. Uh, it's great weather. It's a great day to worship together. We're in the house of the Lord together, right? No, his approach was, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It makes me think maybe we could just, maybe we're doing it wrong. Um, like if we start over, maybe like next week, Pastor Angela will start the video instead of, well, hey guys, she will say something more like, you brood of vipers. It's a good day to worship. <laughs> so John had like a different approach, you know, than we do at Providence. He didn't lead with hope, healing, and wholeness for the disconnected. He led with a comparison of his audience to slithering serpents who didn't do any good. <laughs> that even if they spoke words of repentance, they didn't have any fruit to show for it. And that's just, this is just John's approach. I don't know how much we should judge him for it. <laughs> in fairness to John, he was living in a time when people were depending on their ancestry for salvation rather than a living God. That's what he meant when he said this next part. He said, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It's continuing his uplifting message. What was happening, he was speaking to an audience of people who were tracing their faith heritage back to a particular tribe, which would eventually trace back to Abraham, the father of the faith. And John was coming and uprooting that kind of thinking by announcing that God, if he chose, could raise up children of Abraham from a different bloodline, in fact, from stones. That's us. We are the stones that God can raise up in faith. Those words were threatening to the original audience, right? It threatened their understanding of repentance and salvation. And we are the stones, and so we should naturally be bearing fruit. So you might be wondering, what should we do? That's what they were wondering too, so that works out. The crowd asked him, what should we do then? And what follows is not about earning salvation, but about the results that flow from repentance and the salvation we then receive. Verse 11, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Wait, I thought we were talking about salvation. <laughs> I thought we were talking about repentance and, and new life. And he's talking about going and doing good, good things. And then even the, ta even the tax collectors came to be baptized. The, the tax collectors were like the low of the low. They were known to be cheaters. And he's, they came and, and they said, teacher, what should we do? And he said, don't collect any more than you are required to, he, he said. 
Their salary was built into a system of cheating. Like if they were gonna make a living and feed their family, they had to cheat. They couldn't just collect what they were gonna turn in. To make money, they had to cheat. It's how they made a living. So what John was saying to them was groundbreaking and a little scary. He was taking their security out from underneath them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And so he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. I think it tells you something. That it's a, a, the role of a soldier was a little bit different back then. But soldiers did get paid. But they were known for using their power to gain more power. Again, can you imagine somebody with power using their power to gain more power? The people were waiting expectantly, it says, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. I think this is the best sign for this audience that we have seen yet. Because John is telling them that, you know, they can't rely on their ancestry for faith. And now they've listened to him and they're looking for a rescuer to come. And they're wondering if John might be that rescuer. I think John's ministry is actually working. Their hearts are beginning to turn from just this settled kind of um, easy faith to looking for a rescuer for God to come and save them. So he says, change your ways, repent. You're gonna look and you're gonna operate differently than everyone else. And it may look like you are willingly putting yourself at a disadvantage in order to make way for Jesus. And John knew exactly what he was saying. He was experiencing it. What he may not have known at this point was that very soon, his teaching would lead him to come face to face with just how far the ruling culture had gone. And at the end of, of this passage, he's gonna end up in jail for calling out unethical behavior of Herod. So here, here it is real quick. This is uh, verses 19 and 20. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and I'm just gonna pause here. He, married his, he, div he divorced his wife. He married his brother's wife. His brother's wife was actually, we can say it a couple different ways. It was his dad's granddaughter or his niece, so John's kind of pointing out, this is weird. <laughs> this is not right. And so he's pointing, he's pointing these things out and all these other evil things that he had done. And so John was locked up in prison. John knew what was at stake and eventually he would lose his life over this. But in today's passage, he's about to answer these key questions. What should we do and that question that was rattling around in, in the people's hearts, is this guy the Messiah? So John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John had a role in preparing the way for the rescuer. He knew it's why he was on earth. John was making way for the, this big rescue operation that God had been planning. And so it's really important to point out that God could have accomplished all of this without John the Baptist. God, God could have just bypassed John the Baptist and just gone and done it. It was not John's job to make salvation possible. It was his job to prepare the hearts of the people in the wilderness to recognize the rescue when it was walking towards them. 
he prepared the way by holding up a mirror to the people. And then instead of leaving them feeling beat up, he pointed to Jesus. There is the one that offers you salvation. There is the one that brings you true cleansing. And in the act of repentance, you will receive new life. He said to them, here's your current situation, but you don't have to stay there. Well, what does this mean for us? Here it is. God's salvation is not dependent upon you. But your job, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to get people ready to recognize when Jesus walks through the door. Because <laughs> Jesus is going to walk through the door. <laughs> So what are we doing to help people be prepared and recognize him when he does? So what did John say to an increasingly lost world? What would John say to our increasingly lost world? He said, come to the water. Recognize where you are. Move towards God. Be, be cleansed. Repent. But this is not it. The one who is on his way will baptize with fire and the Spirit. Again, John's whole purpose was making way for Jesus. Our whole purpose is making way for Jesus. Now, before you worry about this and you think about, well, I've, I've got some roles that I play in my life. I, when I think about my purpose, it's, it's connected to a lot of other things um, besides what making way for Jesus because what this doesn't do is discount your purpose for helping people to find their first home and be able to buy it or to provide reliable banking services or to help people know how to, how to be fit and in shape or to repair broken down vehicles or cleaning homes or raising kids or supporting your spouse. All these things can be a part of your purpose, but as followers of Jesus, all of these purposes in our life are ways to live towards the ultimate purpose of making way for Jesus. So the real question becomes, how is your job making way for Jesus? How is your marriage making way for Jesus? How, how are the things, your, your act of giving, how is that making way for Jesus? How are you receiving things in a way that makes way for Jesus? And as I ask you those questions, I have to ask myself those questions. And I recognize that, that I have some realignment work to do. Sometimes I'm functioning for other purposes. Sometimes the things I do seem like they're actually done for another end. But all of our purposes must align with this most important calling. It's how more and more lost things will one day be found. It's how others will know and recognize Jesus when he walks in the door. So our job, prepare the way of the Lord.